Um, thank you for sharing those things there. I, I wanted to read just one one line from that song that we sang because I, it's going to tie in um, with the the path that I want to take this morning. We live in a day and age now where honestly some of the stuff that that Beverly read, uh, and this isn't, I'm not disagreeing with you. In the grand scheme of things though, we live in a day and age now where some of that stuff that she read and talked about isn't so present as it was years ago. And um, there's a lot, there's a lot in the world today that I won't even just say a mother's love, just the idea of family, the construct of the family is something that has been under attack for the last few years, at, at least, to be gracious, at least the last few years in America. Um, and so in some ways, hearing you read some of those facts and describe a mother's love, it's, it's almost a little heartbreaking because we realize we, that the time and place we're in today, that's getting more rare. But what I want to do now is, is simple. I want to look, go all the way back to the foundations of this role or office responsibility of motherhood. But all the way back down to the roots of it, where it came from. And as I, as I mentioned in the prayer earlier, God deserves the glory. And God deserves the praise for ordaining the role of mother. Now, of course, it is Mother's Day and not too many weeks from now it'll be Father's Day and somewhere along the line there's a Grandparents' Day and, and we enjoy these times and it is a good reminder that to take some time to fully focus upon appreciating and honoring mother, father, grandparents. But in the life of a Christian, it ought to be instructed and taught very young to children. You should deeply appreciate and honor your mother and your father. You should deeply appreciate your family because these are the ones that God has given you. And the child should not just be taught to honor mother and father, but the reason behind that is to honor and glorify God for the gifts that He has given. Now, I'm of the mindset that all young families today, I can't say all young people or young adults, but all young Families, those who are seeking to raise and rear families, um, as far as our culture and society is concerned, I would say that all young families, especially those who profess to be Christian, ought to be a part of like an all-out revolt against what the culture and what the society says is family and what the culture and society says is love. And the way to, to really join that revolt, so to speak, is to simply go back to Scripture and say, well, God ordained the office of mother, so what does He say about it? God ordained the idea of family and the construct of family. So, what does our Creator have to say about it? And if we would just return to that in simplicity... What does God have to say about these things? Let us seek to be that type of mother. Let us seek to be that type of father. Let us seek to be that type of family. 
then yes, as the saying goes, the, the world would be a better place. And so that's our aim this morning is to simply go back to the foundations of it all. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. In some ways, I get using that as an, as an analogy, we're trying to go back to the blueprint of the wheel. Father's Day, again, is not too far from now. We're going to be doing the same thing uh, on Father's Day. Just looking at it from the angle of what is a biblical father? What has God said about the role of a father? And so we read from Genesis earlier. We'll start there again. But this line in this song. Um, Still serve the home and save the church. Just that one phrase, not even a full line. Still serve the home and save the church. There's great biblical significance to that phrase. In fact, there's a verse in 1 Timothy that we will look at later that has been the cause of uh, some general confusion. It, it, it's, it's kind of a tough nut to crack. It's kind of a tough verse to look at and say, well, what did Paul really mean when he wrote that? When he told Timothy that the women will be saved through childbearing. What does that mean? That sounds significant. That sounds weighty. Let's turn our attention now to Genesis. We read from Genesis 2 earlier. I want to start in Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. We don't have to go much further than that right now uh, to make a point that really, sadly, tragically, has to be made. In the world, in the society, the culture that we live in today, it needs to be noted and it needs to be stated directly that when God created mankind, He created them male and female. And that's it. Why did He create them male and female? Well, in verse 28, He gives them a command. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There is a, there's beautiful wisdom and design in male-female. We read from Genesis chapter 2 that there wasn't anyone fit for Adam. And so God made Eve a helper fit for Him. And then He tells them, be fruitful and multiply. So right out of the gate, right at this moment of, of creation, this apex of creation, when man is created, right out of the gate, they're told, be fruitful and multiply. And so you can say, well, right there we have this we have this idea and construct of family. Adam and Eve are not only to be husband and wife, they are to be father and mother. They're to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So we see male and female. We see the beauty in that design. We see that God ordained that design. And let me just say this very simply. Again, I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel today. We're just trying to go back to the foundations If God has ordained something, this needs to be said plainly. We as Christians, we might need to just remind ourselves of these basic truths every single day. If God has ordained something and said it is good, we can't improve on it. 
He didn't make a mistake. He wasn't confused when He did it. He is God. He is perfect. He Himself is truth. So when anyone, when any individual, when any family, when any society, when any culture, when any nation tries to tamper with God's design, it is direct rebellion against God and it will bring the wrath of God in judgment. But we as believers know that this is God-ordained. Male, female, Eve made from the rib of Adam. And they are told to be fruitful and multiply. Marriage, family, and again more specifically today, the role of mother is God-ordained. It glorifies God. There is great opportunity. There's great responsibility in the role of mother. And we see this instituted, we see this uh, planted and, and stationed right at the outset of Scripture. So now we turn to what we already read earlier, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave, gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Now up to this point in the creation account, and in these first two chapters of Genesis, God has repeatedly said, it is good. Or we read, and it was good. This is the first time where we see the statement, it is not good. And what was not good? It was not good for man to be alone. There was the beast of the field, there were the birds of the air, there was every living creature, but for man there was not a helper fit for him. So, the Lord met that need. And He caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, He made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And there we have really the institution of marriage. But for the women, the mothers here today, consider the simplicity just of knowing the origin, the need behind or the point behind why you were formed. Why you are here. Because for every Christian, man or woman, It is good for us to ask ourselves and to remind ourselves frequently, why are we here? Why do we exist? What has God called me to do? What does God have for me? And we go all the way back to creation here and we see that Eve was made for Adam. A help meet. Someone suitable for Adam. Now help meet doesn't mean that Eve just exists to help Adam meet all of his needs and meet all of his goals. That's not what we're talking about here. It means what it says. A helper fit for Him. It doesn't mean that she's of lesser stature or lesser value or lesser significance. 
But there is a distinction to be made between male and female. When God created man, He created male and female. He created male and female. He created them. And so we see these roles. And so yes, there is a God-given distinction that is a good distinction. Each man should ask of himself, what does God have for me? What is my purpose? What is my role? Each woman should ask of herself, what is my God-given purpose? What is my role? How can I most glorify God? They are told to be fruitful and multiply. Now we live... In a fallen world, we know that there have been probably countless couples that intended to start a family that maybe have struggled to start that family or maybe have never been able to have children of their own. We also know that through certain medical advancements that some couples have been able to have children through various means, surrogate, things of that nature. But we know that not everybody who desires to get married, have children... Not everyone has an easy path along the way. But there is that God-given command, be fruitful and multiply. There is something that is sacred. There is something that is special. There is something that is glorifying to God. When man and woman do come together in marriage, and they are fruitful and they multiply. And again, that's not, I know that's not profound. I know that's not making anybody say, oh, wow, I never thought about it that way before. This is very simplistic. This is just basic biblical truths. But these are basic biblical truths that we exist in a day where people want to rail against these things. When people want to fight back against the idea of marriage in various forms, and I'm not going to take the time to get political or anything like that this morning, but in various forms... Society rails against the idea of marriage. In various forms, society rails against the idea of family. But we would do well to remind ourselves of the beautiful simplicity and the genesis of marriage and family. One man, one woman, be fruitful and multiply. This glorifies God. We know that the fall happened. I'm not going to take the time to read the entire account of the fall. But Adam and Eve did have an instruction of every, of every tree you can freely eat, but this one tree you don't eat. And we know that they did. Just to throw some humor in here, lest y'all think that I'm just, I don't laugh or anything like that. One thing that caught me off guard one day, in a good way, it made me chuckle, I wasn't expecting to laugh. I was just reading through some comments on a thing. And somebody said, well, to this day... This is why women will never decide where to eat. Because the last time a woman decided what she actually wanted to eat, it ruined mankind. Some of y'all are laughing. Some of y'all, I can feel the glares. That's the joke you make. It's true. But yes, Eve ate first. Eve was tempted and fell. But Adam was there letting it all happen. But the fall happened. And I will turn your attention briefly to Genesis chapter 3. Because to the woman, verse uh, verse 16, To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. If any of the women here have ever wondered, why is it one of the most painful things in the world? Look to Genesis. There's a biblical answer to that. 
I will multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, this is not going to be the entire sermon. If any of you are getting tense or um, worried over the, the aim of this, rest assured I've already stated my purpose. To simply go back to plainly stated biblical truths. Nevertheless, it is true. Again, we live in a culture and a society today that basic biblical truths are often referred to as controversial. Or too strict. Or that's that's too old school. We don't need to think like that anymore. We don't need to live like that anymore. But again, I will say, if God has ordained something and if God has said it is good, we cannot improve on it. We don't need to tweak it. And who are we to even think that we should tweak it, work on it, or try to improve it? But something is stated here in this account of the fall. He tells the woman, your desire will be contrary to your husband. Now, I've said this before, I'll say it again, but just by show of hands, see how many people are awake and listening. How many, of, how many of us have actually, at the very least, we've heard the phrase, happy wife, happy life. You've heard the phrase. Okay. The bottom line is this. Any married couple or any family that is living according to that motto is living an unbiblical refrain. They're living an unbiblical truth. They're actually living a life that plays into the fall. Because of the fall, the woman's desire is contrary to her husband's, but he will rule over her. So because of the fall, the desire is for the woman, I want the role of the man. I want the role of the leader. I want the role of being in charge. But the God-given desire is, the man is the head of house. He is to be the leader. So when people buy, especially Christians that will buy into that motto, happy wife, happy life. That is an open confession. We are not living according to God's Word. And we're proud of it. That is a result of the fall. And anybody with any lick of awareness, now there's a southern phrase for you, with any lick of awareness, knows that we live in a world where husbands and wives, they... To put it as graciously as possible. They don't always have a, a peaceful bed of roses type marriage when it comes to deciding who gets the final say in something. Or who's, who's calling the shots. A lot of times, there's friction there. A lot of times, there's a lot of argumentation and a lot of debate to see who gets whose way. I just want to point out what we've already looked at. The desire that is contrary to the husband. The desire that is contrary to the man. Is a result of the fall. And so it is something that each woman. Will have to fight against. Each Christian woman. Will have to fight against that desire. Fight against that temptation. Fight against that sin. Because that is. What it is. Now with that thought in mind. Jump all the way. To Ephesians chapter 5. You say, okay, we've covered 
the institution of marriage and family. We've covered the fall. It's Mother's Day. Obviously, Caleb, you, you ought to be talking about mothers and godly mothers. And, and we are. We go back to the foundation. What is a godly mother? How can women honor God to the fullest? How can they most glorify God? As a result of the fall, their desire will be for their husband. One of the ways that any mother or wife can glorify God to the fullest is by being a woman who acknowledges what God says about women, about her role as a wife and her role as a mother. And she sees it and she knows it and she obeys it. She submits to God's authority. And she does so joyfully. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now before we go any further, I know that typically people who want to kick up against this will say, well what if? What if the husband isn't leading well? What if the husband... What if the husband isn't saved? What if the husband is, is abusive? And yes, you could, you could go any pathway of contradiction or any pathway of concern. And some of those are more warranted than others. But again, for this morning, we're just looking at the basic, straightforward biblical truth. Regardless of what we can come up with on our head as a what if. The biblical instruction is plain and without question. It is not confusing. It is not hard to understand. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, what if he's not leading in a godly way? Well, elsewhere in Scripture it says to, to still honor God. And that even to an, there, there could even be a chance that the husband will come to faith because of the wife's, the wife's obedience. To God and His Word. And submission to God. And so that refrain is still the same. It's still the same point. The same call to be noted there. You say, well, what if he's, what if he's not a believer? Well, I would refer back to that same passage, but also we're not to be unequally yoked. That's another sermon for another time. But again, any... <clears throat> Any objection we could come up with or any question that we could come up with, I can assure you, there's a biblical answer for all of them. But this here is, is plain. And I will add to that, of course, of course what Paul has in mind here and what we should have in mind here is a God-honoring marriage where the husband is a God-fearing man. Where the husband is seeking to honor God in all that he says and, and does. And the wife should submit to her own husband as to the Lord. Notice that. In her submission to her husband, she is submitting to the Lord. You can't detach the two from the side. We can't say, oh, well, well, there's a marriage where the wife is not in submission to the husband and they, they don't have a, a unified marriage, but they're still honoring God. They're still glorifying God. No, there's a connection there. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Again, this does not mean that the woman is less than the man or less important 
or, or anything of that nature. It simply means that God has ordered things the way that He intends them to be ordered. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And now briefly, it's not Father's Day yet, but we will be doing this same thing on Father's Day. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so again, what we have in mind here, what Paul has in mind here, is a husband loving his wife like Christ loves the church, and a wife who is joyfully submitted to her husband, because that is what she is called to do as a wife. You say, okay, well where does, where does being a mom come in here? Ephesians 6 verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And every parent right there would probably say, yeah, just preach on that for a little bit more. We'll bring all the kids back in. You can preach on children obeying your parents. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You say, well, that said fathers. Well, obviously the mother is not detached from these things. We read earlier and in Sunday school, uh, Larry actually mentioned that whenever he was sick, and I kind of chuckled to myself because I, I would venture to say that most of us that had the mother and the father in the home, when we were sick, when we were when something ailed us and we weren't feeling well, I would venture to say that very few of us called for dad. Most of us called for mom to come and take care of us, to come and care for us. I can remember growing up, some would say I was spoiled. Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. Conversation for another time. But for many nights... For many nights, my mom would sit bedside and scratch my back till I fell asleep. I can remember one or maybe maybe two times that Kelly Folsom sat bedside and scratched my back till I fell asleep. The role of the mother and the father is different, and all of us knows it. When we think mother, we think. Most of the time we think tender, affectionate, compassionate, patient. Now, Beverly said something earlier. They never complain. Karen's not here. She's not here to defend herself. But we're all humans complain. I'll just leave it at that. When we think of the father, depending on how you're raised, if your parents disciplined or if they just did time out or whatever else. But when I was growing up, when I thought discipline, I thought daddy. When I thought teaching how to work, teaching responsibilities that are like outside of the home, but just being a man, obviously that comes from the father. But there's lessons that you would think, well, those are the types of lessons, the life lessons that a mama teaches. And then there's other life lessons that you think, well, that's more suited for the daddy. Those are life lessons that typically come from dad. So when we talk about raising the children in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord, and when it says fathers don't provoke your children to anger, we know that the wives are to be submitted to their husbands and the wives are are birthing the children and helping raise those children in the home. And so it's no different. A Christian family 
is a family, mother, father, children, and that mother and that father, they are raising their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. A godly mother is one that if she has opportunity, she is submitted to her husband. And she aids and encourages and excels in that area of raising those children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But what else could be said directly from Scripture about this role of, of, of a woman, the role of, of mother? Turn now to 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter two, verse eight. First Timothy two, verse eight. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. With good works. Now there's a lot. That we could unpack there. And I meant to say this at the beginning of this sermon. I honestly find Mother's Day, Father's Day. Things of that nature. These are difficult things for me to just prepare a sermon for. A sermon for. Why? Because again. The society, the culture that we live in. There is so much that needs to be discussed. There is so much that needs to be unearthed. There's so much that needs to be studied out and brought up from Scripture so that we, as Christian men and women, know how to fight back and to stand against the temptations of the culture and the society that surround us. But something for, directly, for the women to consider today is this very simple outline and construct here. Paul writing to Timothy for how women are to behave themselves, conduct themselves within the body, the church... Notice what he says. The women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, we've got four girls, a fifth on the way. Yes, for those of you who don't know, we're going to have five girls. And something... That I've thought extensively about already. And I know that I will continue to think extensively about it. We exist in a culture today that is hyper-sexualized. Still doesn't even begin to really describe the type of culture we live in today. And the apparel, for people who still use that word. The clothing that exists. Even the clothing options that exist for women today. Very rarely fall into any of those categories that we just read there. But also the way in which women, young and old, are encouraged to dress and conduct themselves in the world. The way that women are encouraged to conduct themselves is the polar opposite of what we just read. Women today are encouraged. Be proud of your body. Flaunt your body. Show your body off. 
Get all of that stuff that you want. Anything that makes you feel pretty, anything that makes you feel beautiful, do that. And then show it off. Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control. Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. I find it interesting that he says, he's talking about apparel, he's talking about the outward appearance or things that adorn the woman. He says, they should adorn themselves with what is proper for women who profess godliness. So they should adorn themselves, they should put on good works. Godly works. Godly obedience. That's what the woman should be adorned with. And then he goes on to say, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And again, that takes us all the way back to Genesis. And then verse 15, yet she will be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So so don't take that to mean, oh, well, that's how women are saved. If women give birth, they're saved and going to heaven. No. <laughs> no. She'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith. Must be a woman of faith and love and holiness with self-control. One thing that crossed my mind and... I don't believe that this is the direct, immediate context of this, but if we think about it in this vein, there was a promise given at the fall as well that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And so we know that that Christ was born of woman. We know that the Savior actually entered into this world. God Himself, clothed in flesh, entered into this world through birth. And so, all of us enjoy the reality and the benefits of salvation because our Savior was born, the perfect God-man, and that in fulfillment to Genesis. And so there's a connection between childbearing and salvation there. But, and I won't take time to list this, and I know we live in a society today that would say, well, you're a man, you can't even know the temptations of a woman because you're not a woman. But all things considered, I'll just say this. You consider the temptations and the encouragements and the the leanings of the world. Think about the temptations that any woman, young or old, would have to face in the daily life. And for those who profess godliness, for those who profess to be Christian, think about all of the temptations that would be avoided and that would be uh, shunned and that, they, and that women would be protected of from when any woman simply says, I'm a wife and I'm a mother. I will busy myself with glorifying God through being a wife and being a mother. I will raise my children in a godly home. I'll be a godly helpmeet for my spouse. And I'm going to focus on two of the greatest 
most straightforward things God has called me to be. A wife and a mother. I'm not going to concern or busy myself with the things of the world, with my own pursuits. I'm going to commit my life to glorifying God by being a godly wife and being a godly mother. And if that was the focus, I mean the focus and the aim of Christian mothers and Christian wives. Think of the temptations and the desires that just just by doing that, they would be protected from and shielded from just by fully focusing and gearing their hearts and their minds towards glorifying God through being the spouse and the mother that they are called to be. So, in childbearing, they will be saved through childbearing. And then lastly, briefly, Titus chapter 2. Just a few pages over. Don't turn too far. Just one little section here. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women... To love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. I want to turn your attention to what's at stake there. The older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands and their children. So again, that goes back to what I was just talking If professing Christian women would devote themselves to glorifying God. Through loving their husbands and loving their children. The temptations and the desires that, that, would, that they would immediately be cut off from. And be protected from. Just by fully devoting themselves to glorifying God in that manner. The older women are to teach the younger women about that. And to train them on how to do that. But what's at stake? Love your husbands, your children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husband. Here's what's at stake. That the Word of God won't be reviled. That the Word of God won't be blasphemed. Now, in the immediate context of Titus here, this of course is, we as believers, we ought not live in any way, shape, or form that causes outsiders to think anything ill or anything negative about God and His Word. That God would support something that is grotesque. Or that God would support something that is, is twisted in any way, shape, or form. But I simply want to make this point. I mentioned earlier that we live in a world today where basic biblical truth is often referred to as too strict, too severe, or hateful. It's hateful to think that way. Nobody should think that way. It's 2023. We've moved past that. Even within the church, people who profess to be Christians will say, that doesn't mean that. You can't teach that. You can't preach that. That's too much. And they... Here's what that means. When people who profess to be Christians hear the Word of God and they say, no, 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 we don't hear that. We don't like that. It doesn't mean that. It means something else. They revile the Word. They hate the Word. They hate the truth of God. And when the church 
When the church culture buys into and follows the culture of the world, then even people who profess to be Christian will end up reviling the Word of God and hating the Word of God. And if we just open our eyes and look around at the state of modern American Christianity, there's many people who profess to be Christian that really at the end of the day, they hate what God has to say in His Word. They can't stand it. They do not fear God. When we, as men and women, considering the generation coming up behind us, or the generations coming up behind us, when we do not teach them in the ways that we are called to teach them, when we do not honor God and how we teach and how we raise them up, And there's a very good chance that they'll grow up and the Word of God will be reviled. The Word of God will be blasphemed because we're not rightly teaching. We're not rightly dividing. We're not passing down the faith, as it were. And we'll raise up a generation who think that it's normal to call themselves Christians, but look at the Word of God and say, we don't like that part. We don't do that. We don't preach that. We don't teach that. That's not what that means. That means something else. And they'll rip the Word of God to proverbial shreds because they don't respect it. They don't revere God. Therefore, they don't revere His Word. So to the women here today, I'll leave you with this. Consider what we just read from Titus and consider what is at stake. The older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. They are to teach what is good. And train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the Word of God may not be reviled. Again, I believe I said this at the beginning, so ending where I began. Each woman, if you ask yourself, how can I most glorify God? Know the Word. Know what God says about woman. What God says about wives and mothers. And submit to that. Do it. Because if any of us, male or female, if we say we love God, but we live in contradiction to His Word, then we actually revile the Word. And that means we revile what God has said. And we are in rebellion against Him. So it is Mother's Day and we celebrate and we rejoice that God has ordained the office of of mother. And we rejoice even more greatly in those mothers who have taken seriously their role as a godly mother. And many of us are the recipients of mothers who prayed with us and taught us to spend time in the Word and taught us to pursue Christ. But may we rejoice most greatly that God has given us all of these opportunities and all of these great gifts, including the gift of family, including the gift of children. And He is to be praised and He is to be glorified in how we appreciate and handle all of these gifts that He has given us. Thank you as always for listening so well today. 
Yes, Beverly and Bernard and other people called it. It was long. It always is. But thank you all for listening so well. I'm sure many of you all have a, a big lunch and other things planned for Mother's Day. Enjoy that. And may God be glorified as you share that time together and you have that fellowship together. Let's close in order of prayer. Lord, we pray.